What do you think about Aslan being completely oblivious to them? Even getting hit in the face with a lamppost crossbar. <laughs> it reminds me of Superman when the bullets just bounce off of him. Welcome to Talking Beasts from NarniaWeb.com, where we explore the world of C.S. Lewis and keep a watchful eye on the latest Narnia movie news. This is Talking Beasts. Actually, an electric fly swatter. That's yes. Thing. You just you just touch it. It just it just pops and it bursts into flames and it smokes. Like, have you seen a slow mo of an electric fly swatter? No, but it's it would be awesome. I I've gotten pretty good. I mean, like I can catch. I've caught like three flies in one. There's like swing. heads and limbs just popping off. It's great. It's just a really awe-inspiring visual, much like the visuals <laughs> in Chapter 9 of The Magician's Nephew. Wow! Um, <laughs> what a segue. We're all so impressed! <laughs> this is Glumpuddle. And I'm Jim Fan. And I'm impressed still! I'm and there's th- nowhere to go but up from this conversation. We started with electric fly swatters. <laughs> that, that does seem to be our strategy for this podcast, nowhere to go but up from here. Yeah, we we keep testing that theory, and somehow it keeps working. Managing expectations, <laughs> subverting expectations. Oh boy! <laughs> Chapter nine: The founding of Narnia. Where yes, lots of stuff happens. Much of it almost as awesome as uh, a fly being killed by an electric fly swatter. Three at once. Yes, we've what we watch, just amazing stuff, <laughs> which is amazing. Were there talking flies? Is well, I guess it doesn't say. It doesn't Should, say there weren't. Talking I don't flies. think there was. There's Probably not. Room. They would have been big flies because they would have gotten bigger. Yeah, because the little ones got bigger yeah. and the big ones got smaller. Yeah. They won't have those in the movie. If they are, is in the book somewhere. I don't think they'll do. I don't think you'll see fly plush toys. We won't see the redemptive story arc of the mosquito. I had a hard time because I was li- I was listening to the audiobook of this. It was hard for me to remember where the chapter break was because uh-huh. chapters eight and nine in my memory just seemed like one chapter. Hmm. Yeah, the lion was pacing to and fro about that empty land and singing his new song. Uh, the chapter begins. Really cool visual. Uh, the grass spreading out from Aslan's song, I think, could look really cool in a movie. Um, most of the rest of this chapter is like, my gosh, where do you even start uh, trying to do that in a movie? Though, so actually, let me start with that a little bit. Uh, we talked a little bit in the last episode about how it seems like you can't do this scene too literally. You got to come up with some kind of... Uh, abstract kind of representation of creation somehow that might be the only way to do it justice and i came up with two um references filmic references that actually my wife helped she is a doctor (laughs) she is now but uh she brought up disney's fantasia uh because of the kind of original yeah kind of uh visualizing music um and where you kind of can sense a pattern with the music and the kind of abstract imagery on screen that might be i'm not saying do that but that might be Mm -hmm. give you a clue i also think uh the score for blade runner which Rillian's not a fan of um but (laughs) how the score one of the reasons blade runner is one of my favorite scores is the way it there's this blurry line between what is score and what is sound effects and it almost sounds like it's just like the heartbeat of the world. Almost it sounds like ambience. It's not a bad score. It's just it, it's effective. It's not 
It's not one you're going to just, oh, I'm going to listen to this on the drive. Yes. It's, it's not, it's, that's not the point of the score, though. It's, you have to pair it, it with the effective. visuals. I'm not saying it's a bad score. I didn't mm-hmm. say that. It's just not something you would just, I'm going to listen to the Blade Runner score. I agree, because you have to see it paired with the visual, for I think, for yes. it to make sense. But the way that I think I like it- Interstellar. There's that Interstellar is great. But mm-hmm. in Blade Runner, you yeah. have that blurry line between- it almost sounds like just ambient. Like, is it? It's almost like it sounds uh, diegetic sometimes. Like it's just like the sound that world is making. And I love that blurry line between music and sound effects. I think you might be able. It mm. might be the only way you can kind of do justice to Aslan's song. The Family Radio Theater did something very similar with this the song of Aslan. It's not. It doesn't sound like. It's not David Suchet. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good all. point. It's, just, it's, <laughs> wow. it's, it's, it's almost like a deep hum. Uh huh. I guess all that's is almost how they do it, and it's quickly kind of joined by a lot of other sounds. Yeah, and the and musical the, score kind of takes over as yeah. the song. In the Talking Beast Facebook group, Elizabeth mentioned focus on the family, and she said, "I always feel surrounded by the story, if that makes sense, when I listen or read this chapter." And mm-hmm. I think particularly in focus on the family, I mean, literally listen to it in the car with surround sound, and it's uh, they do such a fantastic job. I think they really take a really good shot at doing justice to this scene. But I guess it makes sense. And uh, it's a story where like we've talked about sound is such an important thing in The Magician's Nephew and this scene most of all. So it makes sense, I guess, that an audio drama might be able to do it some justice. They really took a very thoughtful approach to how to do Aslan's song. And it's way better than the BBC radio dramas where it is just the actor going. I haven't heard it. <laughs> the BBC radio dramas uh, is just Aslan going, hmm, hmm. And it's just like, like Tom Bombadil. Okay. <laughs> okay. Like you can, you can tell the focus on the family people. Hi, diddly diddly. <laughs> you can tell focus on the family really thought through. Let, how do we get a sense of awe? It's not important to say, what would a lion sound like if he was singing? That's not the point. The point is <laughs> yeah, to, that's not to the get point. a sense of awe. Um, what, what I think is really funny about this, you know, what, something I noticed uh, more this reading than others for some reason uh, Lewis writes, the nuisance of it, as Polly said afterwards, was that you weren't left in peace to watch it all. Just as Diggory said, trees, he had to jump because Uncle Andrew had sidled up to him again and was just going to pick his pocket. So I read that the other day. and I got this image of in the foreground, stars are being created and the trees are coming up and the lion singing. And in the foreground, I just like I'm just wrestling match uh, trying to get the rings. It's almost like you have the these scratch of vinyl scratch. Basically, I, that was something that jumped out to me as well, where I was like, it's just when you read like the description of like the absolute incredible things that you're seeing and the fact that uncle Andrew and the witch are just so not interested and completely distracted and not paying attention at all. It's like, wow, you must be really, really desperate for this thing. The fact that you're just, you're not, you're not even getting lost in the moment, Uh even for a second, you're just completely ignoring it, which I can't even fathom when you read the descriptions and you're like, oh, my gosh, I can't even imagine what that would even look like. It's funny. Even the cabbie who has that's a really good point. Even the cabbie who has he's just been pulled into this world. He has no context for what the heck is going on, where he is. Unlike Diggory and Polly, who know that, OK, we're in another world. The cabbie's just what the heck is going on? One second I was on. I was doing my job in London and I, what, what's going on right now? But even he gets caught up in it. And uh, several people, including Jan and the Talking Beast Facebook group, brought up loving his quote. 
uh, watched and listens the thing at present, not talking, which I've quoted many a time. Great line. It reminded me there's a quote from Lewis. I was trying to Google it here and I cannot find it. I'm sure someone more uh, familiar with Lewis will be able to find it. Basically, where Lewis, he talked about what kind of magic he enjoyed in stories and he didn't like the kind of mechanical magic where there was no mystery to it. It was just kind of, you know, almost like abracadabra, boom. And then there's the thing, right? So he probably wouldn't like, so Lewis probably wouldn't like Harry Potter for that reason, you think? I actually think he kind of wouldn't. Yeah, no, no. I, but I wasn't going there. I was actually talking, thinking about how in this little world here, there's kind of, there's almost different types of magic. There's the ring magic, right? That is kind of mechanical, right? But then there's the magic. There's just like there's the deeper magic that's creating Narnia. There's the things that like the the witch has this understanding of, and one is easy to grasp. You can explain it in five seconds, and the other one, how do you begin to explain it? And it's interesting that uh, there's obviously in the story one that is more significant, and uh, but both are kind of present in the story. But the only one that Uncle Andrew has any interest for is this very mechanical, crude magic, and even that the witch kind of recognizes oh this is this is like this lesser like you know petty magic you, know, uh-huh. you have to use rings to do this um it's more mechanical but, I, I wish i could find the quote because lewis talked about how if there was a story that only had that as the form of magic it would just be boring to him he wouldn't find it interesting mm. that is really interesting um and i would add to several episodes now ago we talked about this i think that might be one thing that makes the magician's nephew feel just a, a little more like science fiction than the other six Narnia books. I'm not saying Magician's Nephew is science fiction, but I do think it's got a toe or two, certainly compared to the other Narnia books in that world, in that, yeah, the rings feel very mechanical. It does feel very different from the other magic that we've seen um, throughout the series. I'd also say that might be one reason 2001, which i got to keep bringing up, affects me so much because <laughs> I think it's com- it strikes me as very mechanical and yet I'm in complete awe of it at the same time. Like there's this mystery. I mean, I'm very confident there is some kind of logical explanation behind all of this, but I can't quite grasp what it is. And I get the sense of awe from it. So I can't think of anything else that somehow plays both notes at the same time. Like it's mechanical, it feels logical, but amazing sense of awe at the same time. Before we move on from the music too much though, uh, since we have a Tolkien scholar amongst us, at least resident Tolkien resident talking beast scholar, anyway, you're 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 the best we got. Okay, uh, <laughs> that is true. <laughs> Ain't much, but it's the best you can do. In the Talking Beast Facebook group, Daniel said that both Narnia and Middle Earth are created through singing and music. Yes, is this so, Rillian? Tell me more. So, in the Middle Earth, uh, Eru or Iluvatar, who is the one, he creates this song. Uh, the Valar, who are these um, kind of the highest order of angels, basically, he teaches them this song. And as they look at this, they learn this song, they kind of see this envisioned world with the firstborn, who are the elves, the secondborn, who were to be men. And they see it all in full. But then he kind of shows them this void and they realize it's not even created yet. And it's through the actual singing that they create this world. Um, but then you have one of the highest of all of them is Melkor who wants his own song and Melkor wants to be the author of his own song and he wants his own notes. And it's through this that of course the, the fall, uh, in the middle earth saga kind of continues, but, uh, everything is through 
language and song. And, and it's interesting how even there's almost like this war of songs. There's actually even a, a point where I, I think it's, I'm trying to remember one of the elves uh, goes in a, a, like a battle with Melkor, then Morgoth in song. The whole thing is just them with a song of light and a song of darkness. And it's like, how would you even do that in a, a film, you know, or a TV show? You know, Rings of Power will never do it because like, how, why would you even try? Do you want Rings of Power to try? No, no. <laughs> well, the interesting, since you bring up Rings of Power, this is the thing I keep coming back to, even when I'm envisioning like a very abstract way to show creation is actually the title sequence of Rings of Power to me is actually a very abstract adaptation of the like the song um where it's it's kind of visualized in just kind of like grains of sand mm -hmm. and like the way the, the vi vibrations make shapes when it when um sound is playing and there's things on top of like a board um but it kind of starts out as one song and then you see like you know like a different chord comes in and it kind of like changes and then at the end it kind of comes into crescendo and you see that it's the logo very again very very abstract right. but to me that's kind of that same concept um and so when i even think of the creation of narnia like i almost think of like is there a way to show the creation without with it being a little more abstract and maybe not quite so literal um because it would be hard to adapt the very literal creation, whereas it's more, you know, something coming from nothing is it's a really fascinating concept. Yeah, I think it's because the moment you can really, pers I think we would expect actually getting to witness cr the creation, we would expect it to look like something we couldn't possibly conceive what exactly we were looking at. Mm -hmm. Like we would expect it to be something that was blow or we're watching the laws of physics, the physics come into existence, basically. How could we possibly conceive of what that could look like? So you have this battle. I'll bring up 2001 again, the challenge with, with, with just like the, the challenge with portraying aliens in that movie. It's like, if you show it um, concrete and too clearly, you kind of lose the sense of awe because, well, no, it wouldn't be concrete. It wouldn't be that clear. But if you don't make it concrete enough, then you're just confused. So how do you kind of play both of those notes at the same time? You kind of saw that with uh, Arrival, too, with how they depicted the aliens. Uh-huh. You know. Mm. Exactly. Yeah, yeah I, I honestly, it's one of these, it's kind of a fun chapter to read because it's honestly even hard for me to kind of envision. Like, I can imagine it, obviously, but it's not something that's uh, crystal clear the way that, like, the the cabbie in London is crystal clear in my mind. Ah, the key here is awe. I think it's not how can we show uh, things being created in all its detail. It's how can we create this sense of awe. Um, it should be where they should start. And it, it's so hard to do because honestly, like even in, and I'm not sure how they would do it. I, I, if I were a director, I would really feel intimidated uh, if they gave me Matrix's nephew because honestly, the uh, the like they do it in the Lord of the Rings in a couple places. Of course you have the gray Havens where Frodo and Elrond and Gandalf and Gladriel, they sail off and it kind of fades out. There's because they don't want to, they can't show it. And then you have Gandalf just talking to Pippin where it uses your own imagination in that scene. And in some ways that's the most clear uh, moment for the audience, even though, uh, it's not, uh, and, and, and Gandalf's description is the line, like one of the final lines from The Return of the King. It's what Frodo is seeing. But 
uh, even there, they're like, okay, let's let's put that in there, but we'll use the audience's imagination to really give it justice, which it, it works really well in that one scene. That's a really good point. Um, but how do you, mm. but again, like, how do you do that here? Yeah, I just think the trap they have to not fall into is let's get the biggest special effects budget we can get and go look at how big it is and look at wow all the star all the stars and we'd have to blow people's minds at the scale because no matter how big you make it it will never be big enough and so it has to be right. about more than more than just look at how much CGI we have yeah so which in which case it it behooves you more to even go even simpler and use creative ways to imply what you would be seeing and i think the way honestly the the if someone pulls it off well i think that we'll look back and say they if so if we if we're watching a magician's nephew reviewing it you know down the road and we're saying that they pulled the scene off well i predict that we will say well they did it by really making aslan in the song the focus not just Oh, here's here's some trees growing up, and here's a mountain, and here's some bubble. Oh, mm. giant bubbles, and there are elephants coming out. You know, but uh, I do wonder with all this, all it's, even if they do nail it, the visual, all this awe-inspiring stuff going on with the creation of a world, can you have like kind of kind of what we were joking about at the beginning of this episode? Can you have Uncle Andrew and the witch arguing and trying to get the rings, and Uncle Andrew like, oh, a most disagreeable place, and all that? Can you really even ha- is that gonna betray? Uh, it's I think it's tricky to get that in there, not betray a sense of awe, uh, and you could really throw a bucket of cold water on the whole thing. Yeah, you, I don't think you can yeah. have a cabbie saying, "Will you quiet down? I want to hear the music." You know, I don't think the you music, can have that. the music. Yeah, I, I think you could do. You could have everything kind of settle a little bit, and then you have the dialogue and stuff. But there is great, good stuff of Andrew talking about how at first he just. Several episodes ago, I did talk about how I felt like Uncle Andrew and Reaper Jeep had something in common and that they both had a certain sense of awe about the unknown. But then Reaper Jeep, obviously, Uncle Andrew's ultimately is misguided because it's just ultimately goes to what can I do with it? And that's all we see here. I mean, he's seeing the creation of a world in front of him and all he can think about is I want to get out of here. And um, so maybe I would retract maybe some of what I said in previous episode because I've been kind of reading this book with that idea in mind about Uncle Andrew. And I might dial that back a little bit from what I said in previous episodes because, yeah, how could he not, from what he's seeing, how could he not just have his socks completely blown off, even if he's scared of it? But I think it's just, um, yeah, maybe his science and his magician-y ways, it is more about having that sense of control and um, control over the universe, control over nature. And here he just feels small. He just feels like a teeny little cog in an, an enormous machine. And he doesn't like that. When everything is, everything is so it, it's material for him. Mm-hmm. What can I, I it's do all with about, it? There's this uh, guy named Francis Schaefer who has some great material. He has, he had this, uh, way of kind of explaining different societies and cultures and even eras in civilization and now it's reflected in art and music. And he said, everyone's kind of aware of these two concepts, the imminent and the transcendent, whether they reject it or not, the imminent, like the physical, the material, and then the transcendent, right? And there are, everyone's kind of aware that both these concepts exist. Some people will re- like entirely reject the transcendent and like, well, yes, I can know about that thing, but it does, it's not real. There's nothing real. That's not something I can measure or touch or feel or, or, or is measurable in some way. 
Um, mm-hmm. And that's kind of Uncle Andrew. Like to him, the the magic has no significance if it can't be, you know, be something he can result in something he can see or touch or, you know, observe. And like we talked about, he's been dealing with magic in a very uh, mechanical way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it probably just means very, very rudimentary. The moment you get to real magic, it's something he can't possibly get his head around. He can't right. possibly understand. Whereas the witch understands both. Yeah, she has some, at least some appreciation for um, how big the forces are that they're actually dealing with. Like Aslan, for example, the witch clearly knows, oh, this is something I've never experienced before. And she does a what Uncle Andrew calls a spirited thing to do. And Polly calls a wicked thing to do. I thought he said plucky. Did he say plucky? Plucky. Uh, let me look that what up. Does he, say? does he actually I... say plucky? Pl- I think he does. Plucky. No, you're right. You're right. That's a plucky girl. It was a spirited thing to do. So you were right. <laughs> plucky girl. Plucky girl. Yeah, so he called her a plucky girl, but that's a spirited thing to do. Uh-huh. What do you think about Aslan being completely oblivious to them? Even getting hit in the face with a lamppost crossbar, <laughs> just completely oblivious to them. It reminds me of Superman when the bullets just bounce off of him. I don't know, but to not even acknowledge their presence in any way. I mean, I assume he can see them, but is it whatever he's doing is just way more important to these insects over here? You know? No, I, I think he. Yeah, not that, that's what I think it is. It's like he doesn't. He doesn't need to address them right now. He's making a world, and he'll address it later when he's oh, this is the boy who did it. You know, because he's completely aware of everything that's going on. But it's, I think it's just. That's a good point. There is no, uh, he's the constant. Uh-huh. He's the constant. He is the absolute force. Everything else can react off of him. He does not react, have to react to anything that happens. But he feels like, um, I don't know, maybe mechanical is the word here. He he doesn't, he, he feels like a, a less uh, personal force here. Does that make any sense? He just feels I, I agree. like. I agree. Um. I also think this would be hard for I don't think there's any way that you'd depict this in a movie this way. Really? They they would be afraid it would be funny. I think there could be a way if it's framed in such a way where there's enough kind of like tension in terms of like music or whatever where it's like you see this like this looming figure just coming closer and closer and you're like, "Oh my gosh, this is bad. What's going to happen?" And then she throws the thing at him and he just keeps coming. And it's like this sense of like this is an unstoppable force and we don't know if this is good or bad uh-huh. and we're afraid we just made it really angry and it didn't even notice us, which is kind of worse. Like they have a way to frame this. Like obviously we know it's Aslan, but like if you put it in the perspective of someone who doesn't, mm-hmm. doesn't know Narnia at all, it could feel very, very foreboding. And very scary. Yeah, I think the key might be to focus on the witch's perspective. I would love to have the camera stay close on her face when she throws the bar. Maybe we hear it, then we just watch her look, her expression change from like vengeful, I'm going to kill that thing, to oh my gosh, you know. Um, I think that should be a character moment for the witch where she realizes. I, I have nothing. Yeah. Uh, John in the Talking Bees Facebook group said, it's interesting that Aslan's only show of strength to Jadis was to complete was his complete disregard for the iron bar she threw at him. I wonder why Jadis didn't think to try a spell or some other means of attacking him. And she immediately knew to just run away in fear. As far as I do, I will say, I think as far as why no, no magic, I think part of it is that she knows her magic didn't work in the other world. Yeah. I think she she, she knows like, oh, she's figured out that once she does I've find left, out how to craft a wand later on. And apparently she yeah. did. 
It's like well, once once I left, I leave Charn. I'm subject to different rules, and my my magic's not going to work here. I think she's gotten some time to get used to that idea. And yeah, we know that eventually she has to make she has to make a wand, uh, kind mm-hmm. of the, yeah, the USB adapter for her magic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you laughed again. Thanks. You, uh, you laughed like four four or five episodes ago. Wow. <laughs> He's just remembering how much he appreciated that joke. I'll see if I can bring that one back. There you go. Another time. The lamp post. The lamp post. Um, I think it's really interesting that. Tell me if this makes sense. I texted you guys. And I had this thought. Yeah. That, like. <laughs> It's a piece of metal. You and I thought the exact same thing when we were reading the book. Okay. The crossbar from the lamppost, which is just a piece of metal. And you, I think if you think about it in a as scientifically, logically as possible, you might say, well, you, you would expect like a metal tree to come up or something like that, right? No, I was thinking like he takes a piece. I imagine he takes like a piece of a little piece of metal from a, a big ship he plants it and he gets these ginormous sheets of metal. <laughs> it's like how I imagine it. Like, but, you know. but I guess the way Andrew envisions it might actually work, though. Yeah, maybe he's right and we're In wrong because they yeah. a complete lamppost with a little flame. Yeah. The everlasting flame. The, uh-huh. the, it's like an everlasting <laughs> internal combustion engine invented in Narnia. It's like as long as you keep watering it, it'll keep burning. As long as you keep the lamppost tree thing alive, it'll just keep burning. Apparently not, because it's still lit when Lucy and Tumnus are there. No, that, that, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's just like a tree. As long as it's alive, it'll just keep doing yeah, the yeah. thing that lampposts do. So it's like this hybrid. <laughs> yeah, it's what it made me think of in Voyage of the Dawn Treader, one of your favorite lines, really, and where Koryakin says, you know, even in your world, that's not what a star is. It's just what it's made of. Mm-hmm. And there's something about the magic of this world that knows... That no, that's not just a piece of metal. That's a crossbar from a lamppost. Like it knows what purpose it served. No, it uh, it al- it aligns with that perfectly. It's, it's, it's the same. It's exactly that is. It's like it in Narnia. It's not what you know. The things are not the the sum of the things are not what it is. It's it's what its intention is. What it is. Inside. I think it's a great kind of childlike logic, though, that it wouldn't just be metal or something that comes up. That it's like an ac- an actual lamppost. It speaks to the telos, the actual purpose, because in Arnie, there, there's actually a pur- there's a purpose for the whole creation. There's a purpose for the animals. Uh-huh. There's a purpose for which animals are talking, which ones aren't. Um, and you know, I was I was reading this interesting book this last week uh, by Carl Truman, and he says, he says, well, what, what's what's a human? He said, you know, if you found you know my DNA at a crime scene, you'd say, oh, it's like you know, it's this DNA strand or whatever. But but no one would ever ex- and that would of course be a positive ID for ah Carl was there, but no one would ever accept that as hey who is Carl? Well, here's this DNA, you know mm-hmm. that <laughs> you would know? not answer like, the question. Well, at no, all. that doesn't say anything about who this person is. Right. You know, uh huh, right. Exactly. Uh, another comment from the Talking Beast Facebook group, uh, and this is a long time coming. I think it was like it was several months ago. I posted for people. Hey, are we doing talking about the magician's nephew? I think it was more than several months ago. I think yeah, definitely last year though. It was a few years uh, ago. It was a while ago. <laughs> I say, hey, what magician's nephew? What should we talk about? And Daniel, so long ago, then listener, still listener, Save, said, "We saved your comments. Thank you." Yes, we finally <laughs> finally got here. Daniel said. Both Lewis and Tolkien do a great job explaining how evil enters their respective worlds, but Tolkien explains how Morgoth and later Sauron's army is created. I've wondered how all the evil creatures in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe came to Narnia. Did they come in like the Telmarines? Was the witch able to summon them? Did she mutate good creatures into twisted versions of themselves? 
So that is, uh, it does seem to be, I guess he's talking about the uh, the minotaurs and the werewolves and the hags. and the. the oh, the, the minotaurs were all good. I saw Prince Caspian. There you sorry, go. There were sorry. some good ones. <laughs> they were good ones. They were corrupted, They weren't by the bad. Way. They were just misunderstood. Um, no, that is a good question because I was like, oh, there's the hags and the goblins and all these, you know. Uh-huh. And we don't know. We don't know. And you know what? I'm okay with that. I, I One thing I, I my dad and I were talking about just how it, it's so hard to find movies that like it'll raise some question and they can't resist like like they want to answer every single thing and how like they don't want loose ends no one wants loose ends anymore and you, it's like it, it's like you know what you think real life is full of loose ends you know supposedly like now they found like, these sharks in the i think it's in the arctic have you heard of this they're older than america they're like mm-hmm. they, they're close to 300 years old still alive like an mm-hmm. individual shark is like oh. close to 300 years old. Like how h- how are they still alive? We don't know. Like not really. Mm-hmm. How do we how do we really know how these things are hundreds of years old? Like uh-huh. there they are. Like there's your loose end, you know. We don't fully uh-huh. understand it, but that's real life for you. It's it, it's a very tricky balance though cuz it, it can't just say, well, we're just not going to explain anything because, you know, real life. That's how real life is. So it is I, it's such a difficult it line a balance, to fi- yes. it's such a difficult line to find in a story that somehow Lewis just hit the just hit the nail on the head with that. Otherwise, Ryan will make fun of you on pitch meeting and it'll be hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought of this just now. We don't see any mythological creatures, do we, here? We just see an- we just see regular animals that we would recognize. Oh, that's interesting. I was going to say we're going to see a mythological beast. Well, we're going to see Strawberry become Fledge, obviously. Um, but, you know, I think we're gonna- that's table discussion. I, I want to make sure. I'm going to read this extra closely these next couple chapters and make sure that's the case maybe we can come back to this in the next episode i just thought of a theory do a theory jim fan you can tell me if this is a terrible theory i literally just thought of this at the top of my head so like they say like okay so narnia is a brand new country or brand new world right Uh and so it would stand to reason that like some of these like growing creating properties would still be existing and like not as strong but like still kind of around even after the initial like speaking into life moment Mm -hmm. so because all all the mythical creatures that we see in narnia later like they have um fantasy counterparts in our world right like what like what what do you mean for the most part well, like um, Lewis didn't come up with the concept of like minotaurs and things like that, like okay. those type of mythical right. yeah. creatures. Okay, yeah. So, what if, like, you know, um, oh, now I'm I'm a bad Narnia fan. I'm blinking on their names. Uh, Queen Helen and Frank, the cabbie, Frankie. Frankie, his name. Oh, no, it's not Frankie. Frankie. Well, I, I didn't say Frankie. I can't Frankie. accept that. Okay, I was gonna be. <laughs> no, Frankie I said Frank. So. <laughs> I was gonna be okay with. Oh, Jim Van, it's okay. I understand. The, the the microphone's on. It happens to me all the time. You know, you forget something. You feel dumb. <laughs> no, I cannot accept Frankie. Okay, Frankie okay. from Jersey Shore. No. Oh, my um, goodness. you know, maybe they're like telling fairy tales to the animals or to their kids or something, and something about that kind of imprints itself into the world and that's how they come into Narnia. Or maybe something happened in the thousand years between this and Lion the Witch and the Wardrobe. Who knows what could have happened? I do I do have to say it it's on like the second page of chapter ten. There's a river god and there's a chief dwarf. There are dwarfs, yes. yes. I, I I just did a word search. And, and the, there are, the river god is there. There, are dwarfs, there you go. So <laughs> Perfect. The river god, I'm glad my- and a flying horse. Uh-huh. But I can just about guarantee you like if Andrew if Andrew Adams and the Mamajistan's nephew 
in this scene, it would see there's the centaurs and the minotaurs and woo, 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 the griffins are flying around. And you know, we can't just have like regular el- – we can't have the, the big moment that Lewis is like, oh, this is the best moment of all is when an elephant comes around. And Andrew Adams is going to be like, boring. <laughs> it's an elephant with like a bunch of horns or lightsabers or something. That's what we need. That's how he remembered it as a kid. <laughs> So we talked a lot in this uh, episode about things that should be just maybe left to the imagination or things that should be implied. How concretely can you show something? And uh, I wonder if maybe there's a part of me that kind of wishes that um, the Uncle Andrew's lunch with Jadis was less was left less to the imagination. Maybe we can see, <laughs> can we get a whole spinoff episode, a whole sitcom of just Jadis and Uncle Andrew going to lunch? Um, that just sounded like good jolly fun of Andrew being completely humiliated. Just the, the Queen Jadis, we will have more spaghetti, please, or whatever. And <laughs> oh, She wouldn't say please. Oh, excuse me. She wouldn't. Oh, you're right. It'd be like, it'd be like worse than Thor in the coffee shop. I love this. So if we're talking about uh, just ask for more, I just did. (laughs) Uh, All right. So Netflix, if you're listening, sure, give us. If you're gonna do a ten episode magician's nephew series, yeah, one episode with Jadis and Uncle Andrew running around town. How long would you make this? Make what? If you were making an adaptation, how long would you make it? Like in episodes or hours? In hours. In hours. Either movie or. No less than 14 hours. <laughs> <laughs> I just finally found digital copies of Anne of Green Gables and Anne of Avonlea. And each is like three and a half hours. Ooh, How long do I want the creation nice. scene? Really long. Um, don't don't rush through that, man. There, there's a lot of story in Magician's Nephew. But man, take a breath here and take it all in. Don't just be... It can't, it can't just be, oh, we have to get the plot point of Narnia gets made over with so we can get like back to the action. Up, springtime. Oops. Exactly. <laughs> oh, that's a fantastic example. Great example of the book, which just, ah, oh, the snow is melting. It's such a moment. And in the movie, it's just, oh, the snow's melting and the wolves are jumping on the ice. It just becomes. It almost justifies the entire extended version. Just that one little moment almost justifies the whole it's thing. Not it's not like. like and the extended like version's not that great. Longer. It's just so much yeah. better than zero. Yeah, it's like, it's like literally sixty seconds longer. That's all you need. Sometimes that's all you need. It's not even that actually, but it's just. It's, Sometimes it's, you wonder, like, why did they cut this? It was so short. It's because it's just the focus is on keeping the tension on and keeping the plot moving forward. It didn't recognize yeah, the value yeah. of the atmosphere. We need tension. Let's have a let's have our beloved characters at each other's throats. I think it speaks to a lack of of confidence. Um, that, oh, if we don't have this, again, just if you don't have a constant looming threat, people are going to get bored and walk away. Let's have Aragorn and Legolas fight it out. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. got the helms deep. But, Tension. Uh, no, no, I think you're right. I think you're right. I mean, in a way, th- they did have a big, long scene in the theatrical cut of Line the Witch and the Wardrobe. They did have a giant, long scene where the snow is melting and it's a major thing we dwell on. It's the melting river scene. Where they made, right. oh, the snow no, is no, melting and exactly. we're that's floating on the ice. In a way, it is in the movie. It's just they made it an action scene. And they made it, ah. Anyway, that's <laughs> it for chapter nine. Next week will be chapter 10. Whoa. Probably, probably. <laughs> Maybe. Unless, you know, we get some news or something and then we'll interrupt this and we'll talk about Greta Gerwig's new projects for the next three episodes. 
We hope you enjoyed this episode of Talking Beast, the Narnie podcast. Visit narnieweb.com to join our community and stay up to date on the latest Narnia news. Please post a comment or question below or in the Talking Beast Facebook group. Special thanks to all of our Patreon supporters, especially our Knights of Narnia Web. Until next time, further up and further in. Mm-hmm.